If you'd like to turn to chapter 6 of Romans. Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. You've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You've got the book of Acts and you've got the letter to the Romans by Paul. Just for a moment, imagine what it might be like to live with no purpose. No, no reason for being here. No hope. No destiny. Because that's real for a lot of people. There's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, but there's a lot of people who have no understanding of why they're here, what they're here for, no sense of purpose or direction in their lives, no sense of hope, no sense of destiny at all. But we as Christians, as believers, get all of that in one amazing package. That's what I want to talk about this morning. You see, there is a hope that the resurrection itself gives us. Jesus' work stopped at the cross. His work stopped at the cross. But the story didn't stop there. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to ask kind of two questions, the second of which will launch us into the bulk of what I'm going to be sharing this morning. But let's just look at the facts, first of all. The facts of what it is we're celebrating. The historical facts. Was Jesus real? Did he die? Did he rise again? I've, I've spent some Sunday mornings just on that, but I don't want to spend a whole half-hour lecture on apologetics and giving you evidence for the resurrection. I just want to, oh, I'm not going to skip it. I'm going to talk about that just briefly, but I want to focus on the implications of it in just a sec. But first of all, the first question, was he resurrected? Did he rise again? Yes, thank you. Good answer. <laughs> Get a candy later. One of Derek's tins of sweets. Did he really rise from the dead? You see, Jesus was a man of history. He's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's referenced in historical, non-biblical historical books. He's referenced more times than Julius Caesar. Nobody questions if Julius Caesar existed. Jesus existed. Jesus of Nazareth existed. Did the things he did, said the things he said. They're recorded. Many of them recorded outside of the Bible, of the four Gospels. The question isn't, did he exist? The question is, did he rise again? People try and explain it away, the resurrection. Some people say he didn't actually die on the cross in the first place, therefore he didn't have to rise again. He just swooned. He fainted. Some people say that he was actually unconscious. And he was so unconscious, he looked dead and was buried. Ha-ha, he wasn't really. And he managed to, in his unconscious state, rouse himself, take off his linen clothes, fold them neatly, and get out of a locked tomb with guards outside. He didn't swoon. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. They were, it was a horrible thing, but they were very, very good at it. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew who was dead and who wasn't. And in fact, even scripture recalls that they came around to break legs, because it's about asphyxiation more than blood loss. They came around to break legs of people who weren't dead yet, so they'd hang even more. They couldn't support their weight, and they'd asphyxiate to death. They didn't need to break Jesus' legs, because he was already dead. They were good at what they did. Jesus did not swoon He died. And then people say, it actually wasn't Jesus on the cross. It was a double. Muslims believe this. The holy prophet Jesus didn't die on a cross. It was a double took his place. That is saying that the unrighteous, an unrighteous man, died in place of the only righteous man. We believe the only righteous man died in place of the unrighteous. That's what Muslims believe. It was a double. For it to be a double... In the days of no plastic surgery, even even then you still can't quite get it right. We see some lookalikes and they're a bit awful, aren't they? 
there were a lot of people very close to him, very close to the body, who weren't his disciples, who weren't his believers, who were the people committing the atrocity. They'd have spotted it. There was no double on the cross. That was Jesus of Nazareth on that cross. He died. But okay, but did he rise again? Yes, I get he died and I get he existed. Did he rise again, Steve? Well, some people say, well, he didn't rise again because the authorities stole the body. That's how we can explain it away. That's why the tomb was empty. The authorities stole the body because they were responsible for the guards guarding it. They had to work with the guards that were in their payroll, emptied the tomb. Well, they were the ones who didn't like the idea that the disciples were declaring his risen again because it was giving power to their words. All they had to do was then present the body that they'd stolen. Ah, you're wrong. He really is dead. Here's the body. They couldn't because they didn't have him. The authorities did not steal the body. But then some people say, ah, but the disciples stole the body and then pretended that he'd risen again. Those guys went to some horrible, horrible deaths. Cut in two while they're alive, hung. One of them was flayed, I think, skinned alive. And crucified for the belief that they had physically seen the risen Lord Jesus, seen the, hands in his, uh, seen the holes in his hands and in his feet and in his side, seen him walk through doors, seen him cooking bre- breakfast on a beach. They'd seen him and hung out with him and eaten with him, touched him. They believed that. If they'd stolen the body, they wouldn't have died those deaths for a lie. They'd have run away. The disciples did not steal the body. And the only other thing that people can come up to say that to explain the resurrection, is that it was a mass hallucination. People believed they'd seen him and hung out with him. Well, for two people to share a same detailed hallucination is extremely, ridiculously rare, just for two people. More than that is impossible. Scripture reveals that over 500, as that cartoon said earlier, over 500 people saw the risen Lord Jesus and hung out with him. 500 people, that's impossible. There was no mass hallucination. And those are the only ways you can explain the resurrection away or you can accept it. There are implications for us all in this room. Whether we believe that or not, there are implications. You need to deal with the fact of the resurrection. And if so, there are big implications for us. See, this man, he declared himself God. He demonstrated power over sin and sickness. He declared he was here to save. He declared he was the only way to the Father. And he died. That man could be a lord or a liar. But he rose again, which declares him as lord. He was who he said he was, and he did rise again. That tomb was empty because he rose again by the power of the Spirit. And therefore, that fact affects all of us in this room. So my second question, after the first one, did he rise again? Yes, he did. Second question, so what? What does it mean to live in the light of the resurrection? What does that really mean to us? And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Romans 6. We'll just look at, to start with, we're going to have quite a few verses from Romans. We'll look at the first four verses, just to introduce us. Romans 6, 1 to 4. This is Paul saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who die to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
walk in newness of life. That's what I want to start with today. I want to look at three things, just briefly. I want to look at what this newness of life means. Let's unpack that a bit more. What does that mean? Newness of life, new life. If we therefore have this newness of life, we have a new identity. And if we have a new identity, we have a new way of living, a new walk. New life, new identity, new walk. Those are the three things I want to look at. New, new life keeps an eye on the past. See what he's done for us. New identity keeps an eye on the present. Who are we in him? And new walk keeps an eye on the future. Our journey now with him. Life, identity and walk. First of all, newness of life. Then I'll give Sir Walter Raleigh the final word. How's that? Be right. First of all, newness of life. The end of verse 4. Uh, Jesus Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What does this new life mean? Man's been searching for the secret to life uh, since day dot, hasn't he? Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a really good book. It's a good piece of literature. And, uh, but if not, I'm sure you're familiar enough with the story. Victor Frankenstein... He strives to surge beyond human limits to access the secret of life. And inevitably, it goes pear-shaped. But Mary Shelley is saying in this, she alludes to the fact he's trying to steal fire from the gods, is the kind of mythological metaphor for it. He's trying to steal this secret that shouldn't belong to humans. And he's trying to get it, and it doesn't work. It goes horribly wrong. That's just a demonstration of what's in our hearts, this secret we'd love to have a hold of, this power. Scientists today are still trying to create new life. They can't do it. They've managed to create a new kind of life. I mean, they've done hybrids, ligers. And what's the, there's, there's some sheep hybrids and things going on, aren't there? Goats and sheep. But it's still not new life. It's just a new type, isn't it? They're still using what's already there. Synthetic life. They managed to computer generate a genome, a, type, a new type of DNA, and insert it into another cell. Basically, they've taken a cell, and in its DNA, they've added a watermark. It's just recently. And this cell has replicated, had babies, a second generation, and that second generation in their cell contains the watermark in that DNA. It's been passed on. Hey, we've got the secret to life. No, you've created, you've doctored a new form of life. You haven't created life. You've just tweaked it along the way. It's very clever, but you haven't created new life. And even people get the misunderstanding that defibrillation in cardiac arrest situations, I was a paramedic for 20 odd years, and you know, they're staying clear, and you're trying to get kickstart a dead heart. It's not actually quite like that. That's what it looks like, and that's how the dramas make it look like. Actually, what's going on? You can't kickstart a dead heart. There needs to be some electricity in there. You go, He's gone flatline. We need to shock him. You're not going to get anywhere. I don't know why you're bothering. You haven't listened to your, your, uh, your uh, advisor on set. <laughs> it doesn't work. If you're flatline, you're dead. There's not a lot you can do. There's a couple of tweaks you can try, but you're not going to get very far. If you're flatline, all hope's gone. There's no electricity in the heart. When the heart is, bump, is, is beating normally, sometimes in a cardiac arrest situation, the only way you can kickstart it and have any hope is when there's electricity in the heart, but it's not in a rhythm, and it's scrambled. And it's blah, 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 like this. And what the idea is, is to defibrillate, is to kickstart it with a big shock and make it go back into a rhythm. But you need that electricity there in the first place. They can't create something from nothing. And this is it. Scientists in whatever realm, medical fields, biological fields, cannot create something from nothing. This is new life we're talking about here. It's a whole other ballgame. 
Even scientists agree you cannot create something from nothing. It goes back to the Big Bang theory, doesn't it? Something from nothing. They come up with the Big Bang, but it doesn't really explain something from nothing, does it? What was beforehand? They've now come up with a new theory. Get this, quantum levels of theory, that there was a tiny, tiny, tiny little seed of the universe that, that, that existed forever. And it was just there. And it's eternally existing. And it popped in the Big Bang and created. Therefore, we can have something from something that wasn't God. Hurrah! Explained him away. Even non-believers are pulling that apart. Don't worry, it falls apart. But people are trying to explain away God before something. Only God can create something from nothing. Speaks into being. Only God initiated new life in the universe. Only God raised Christ from the dead. And only God brings newness of life to us when we become believers. Romans 4.17, a couple of chapters beforehand. This is Paul talking about Abraham, the father of God's people back in the day. And just in 4 verse 17, as it is written, I have made you, Abraham, the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who, here we go, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Only God can bring new life. This is why... In chapter 6, newness of life. We need to understand what this means. This newness of life is God doing the impossible. When Ephesians declares we were dead in our sins, children of wrath, we were dead. He has given us life. Only God can do that. Newness of life. So therefore, we need to understand this. When we grasp the truth that he's given us new life, it gives us a new identity. Secondly, new identity, an eye on the present. Because this new, li- new life, this newness of life, is not simply a fresh start. Okay, let's call it quits. Let's pretend that didn't happen. Start afresh. Here you get on. It's not like that. Everything for us as believers has changed. The mistake is to believe that the cross, at the cross, Christ washes us of our sins, and the resurrection seals the deal once and for all. That's true. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it doesn't stay there. There's more to it than that. Continuing Romans 4, from verse uh, 24 to 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, this is about the Father, who, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses, was delivered up for our sins, and raised for our justification. Two things are going on here. At the cross... He died for our sins. At the resurrection, he was raised for our justification, our standing before God. The resurrection does more than just seal the deal. It gives us a new standing before God. It means we were considered innocent in the first place. Not just ignoring something, considered innocent. This is not the ex-con coming out, being released out of prison early, given a fresh start and pretending it never happened. Everything has changed. This is that con being declared innocent in the first place. Never even committed that crime. Justified just as if I'd never sinned. This is God creating something from nothing. How can, who can do that? Only God. Imagine, yeah, there's another way of explaining what, a new thing. If I break a pot, if I smash a pot, I can glue it back together. Or I can place it with another one. Peggy's got a big mustard pot 
in her house. It's lovely. Coleman's mustard pot. You've got another one on top of your cupboard. I said, what's that? It says, that's in case that one breaks. <laughs> She's got a replacement already. So it was going cheap. If I break a pot, I can glue it together or I can replace it. I can't make it new. It'll only be another one that looks and feels the same. Or it'll be the same one but glued together and it's got cracks in it. Only God can make something new. Only God can give us this new identity. Because it goes further. Romans 8. Guess where I've been spending the past few months. I love Romans. Romans 8, verse 11. This is what the resurrection does for us. If the spirit of him, Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit is in us. Okay? Same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Amazing. And he continues, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means Papa, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. The same Spirit gives us this new life in such a way we are no longer convicts, we are no longer offenders. We are children of God and therefore we are heirs to his glorious heavenly inheritance. We are co-heirs with our brother Jesus. That's who you are if you believe. That's who you are. We are no longer the dirty peasants locked outside of the castle. And all we can do is gaze forlornly, doomed with judgment over our heads for the things we've done. We are children of the king who are allowed inside that locked castle. We can run into his throne room at any moment and jump on his lap. Massive contrast. We are different people now. Even if you don't feel like it, don't let your emotions rule your theology. Don't forget that. Even if you don't feel like it, if you believe, that's who you are. Amen. To put it one more way before we move on, think of a bank balance. Our sin is a great debt over us. Zero is here. You've got the red over here. We are in debt. Jesus at the cross pays our debt. He clears us out of the red, clears our overdraft, and we're at zero. The resurrection doesn't mean we stay here. The resurrection then puts us massively into the black, beyond our wildest dreams. We are wealthy beyond measure in heavenly riches. Children of God heirs to his heavenly inheritance don't forget that he doesn't just reset to zero we are massively in the black infinitely and therefore we are given new life we are given a new identity as his children therefore that should give us a new walk back in chapter 6 how did it describe that new list of life? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Not just that we have it, we need to walk in the light of it, don't we? See, these truths, new life, new identity, give us a hope. And the more we let that hope seep into our very being, we get a new swagger. We walk differently, we talk differently differently. We get a new swagger in life. 
Let these truths sink deep and you will walk differently. Your eternal future includes now. Don't forget that. Say, my eternal future includes now. My eternal future includes now. Believe it. It's the truth. Because you can continue as before. If Holy Spirit's truly at work at you, I trust you won't do. Because you can walk with him, get to know him, and grow with a new swagger. I was watching... um, the new version of The Equaliser recently with Denzel Washington. It used to be Edward Woodward, wasn't it? It's now Denzel Washington. It's not a bad film, actually. It's all right. In there, he's trying to help this young girl get off the street. She's sucked into the slave trade. She's only a teenager. She's got a musical gift. She can sing and make music. But she can't get out of this slavery she's in. And she wants to break free from this horrible mafia. He ends up helping her. Of course he does. He's Denzel Washington. But she's stuck in this slavery. and She can't get out. And she doesn't know how to get from A to B and make a new life. It's just too daunting for her. And what he says to her, progress, not perfection. I really like that. That's really helpful. You can't expect to be massively different overnight. God does do miraculous things in us. Our characters do change overnight. I know there are people in this room who have changed overnight. But we still slip up. We still fall. We still trip. And he understands that because old habits die hard. But the truth is, Believers in him, the risen king, you have new life and new identity. The more you let that seep in, the more you get to know what that means, you will walk differently. What I mean is by this, there's three examples. It's quite exhaustive, but three examples for now. Firstly, therefore, there is no need to fear. Some of us in this room, I'm sure, struggle with fear about different things. Sometimes life in general, sometimes specific things. Romans 8.15, what did it say when we were reading? I'm going to get you flipping back those pages. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. You didn't get given the spirit of slavery to lead you into fear. You were given the spirit of adoption as sons. You see, this isn't an optional truth. It's not an available option. It's the truth. We're not given the spirit of slavery. Fear is slavery. What it does, it binds our confidence, doesn't it? It limits our trust in him. It shackles our faith. But that's your old life. And that's the old habits dying hard. You see, when, when you fear, you can feel it, can't you? It feels constrictive. You ever notice that? That physical sensation when you're fearing something is actually constrictive. You can sense that slavery, that shackling. You can feel it. It's there. See, this truth, knowing who you are, knowing you weren't given a spirit of slavery, but you're adopted as his children, grows your confidence. It boosts your trust and it releases your faith. It's true. Sometimes old habits, old ways of thinking, that's true about us. It's not an option, it's true. But it's learning how to embrace it and walk in the light of it. But it's true. Let that truth seep deep into your fibre. Firstly, no need to fear. Secondly, freedom from the bondage to sin. I know we can all struggle with this. Romans 6, verse 5, continuing that part we read earlier. What does he say? For if we have been united with him in a death like his... 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Just giving back to that second half of verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, again, this isn't an available option. As Christians, it is the truth. It's not, now you're a Christian, you can, you can there, there is a, as, as an extra, for an extra fee, you can get an extra add-on to your package. Uh, includes not being enslaved to sin. So, oh, oh, I love that. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, no, it's the truth. Whether we live like it or not, whether we believe it or not, it's the truth. Whether we feel like it or not. It's not an available option, it's the truth. Do we look different to our friends who don't believe? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we look any different? And I'm not just talking about, are we really nice and are we really generous? I know a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour who are exceptionally nice and exceptionally generous. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about you go to church and do churchy stuff. I know a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They might even say it, but it's not true. They're not saved. You can tell. And they go to church and they do churchy stuff. It doesn't make you a Christian. Anything like... Going to QuickFit makes me a car. It's true. It's true. I'm not talking about looking different to our friends in the things we do like that. I'm talking about our character. I'm talking about what we're like in private. What priorities does your bank balance reflect and your diary? What are you like when you're alone? Do you look any different to anybody else? who doesn't believe in Christ. Believe this truth. If you believe in him as your Lord and Saviour, what he's done on the cross and what he's done in that empty tomb, you are no longer a slave to fear or a slave to the bondage of sin. You're free from it. Old habits die hard, but you are not enslaved. Third third example, final example on this about New Walk, being naturally supernatural. I love this phrase. I'm learning what that means more and more. Being naturally supernatural. The spirit indwells in us. How long have we got? We've got a couple of minutes. Ephesians chapter 1. A couple of verses in Ephesians. This is the same writer to the same people. Says these things. People say, there's an argument sometimes. Does the Holy Spirit come on you when you get converted or is it a later event? The answer is yes. We'll be talking about it a little more in a few months time. But we as an eldership will absolutely affirm that a spirit comes on you at conversion and also subsequently. Seek him. Because this is what Paul says. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit the moment you give your life to Christ. It's an unequivocal truth. You receive the Holy Spirit then as a deposit. Signed, sealed and delivered. But also, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Paul then goes on to say, don't leave it there. Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled 
with the Spirit. You are sealed with the Spirit at conversion, but don't leave it there. There's plenty more. Receive more. Keep being filled. In fact, that is not just saying be filled once. It's be being filled. It's a daily thing. It's our walk. And this is what I mean by naturally supernatural. Yes, I am talking about miracles, words of knowledge, healing, but don't limit supernatural to that. I'm talking about fruit of the Spirit. The more you are filled with the Spirit, the more you display the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul in Galatians describes as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The more you are filled with the Spirit, the more you display his fruit of what, what is up in you, in your character, how you change your character, how he changes you. And this is what I mean by living a naturally supernatural life. It's inexplicable joy in crisis. It's incomprehensible peace in the storm. It's loving the utterly unlovable. It's self-control during times of utter horrendous temptation. That's fruit of the Spirit at work. That's the supernatural life. Because it goes against the grain of the rest of the world. We're the salmon going upstream. It's going against the flow. That's the naturally supernatural life, I mean. And the more we walk like that, the more we are filled with the Spirit, the more we will see miracles, healings, words of knowledge, etc. Signs and wonders following the Word. But don't limit it to just that. Naturally supernatural is fruit of the Spirit on display to the world. That's a supernatural life. In conclusion then, only God can make something from nothing. Only he can make we who are spiritually poor spiritually rich. Only he can turn slaves into sons. Only he can turn darkness into light. Only he can turn chaos into order. Only he can bring life from death. Only he can bring something from nothing. The resurrection gives us a sure and certain hope. It gives us a new life, a new identity, and a new walk. And I'll just say, look to the horizon and see our future is certain and sure and recognise that our eternal future starts now. It includes now. I'm going to leave Sir Walter Raleigh with some parting words. If you just turn the lights out and show the video. Here is Sir Walter Raleigh talking about what it means to be sailing on the ocean and to watch that horizon. Listen to this. Can you imagine what it is to cross an ocean? For weeks you see nothing but the horizon. Perfect and empty. You live in the grip of fear. Fear of storms. Fear of sickness on board. Fear of the immensity. So you must drive that fear down deep into your belly. Study your charts. Watch your compass. Pray for a fair wind. And hope. Pure, naked, fragile. Hope. Ladies, the Archduke caught it waiting. Let them wait. Go on, Mr. Raleigh.
you were hoping? At first, it's no more than a haze on the horizon. So you watch. You watch. Then it's a smudge. A shadow on the far water. For a day. For another day. The stain slowly spreads along the horizon taking form until on the third day you let yourself believe you dare to whisper the word unknown, out of the immensity, into new life. That, your majesty, is the new world. Land, life, Resurrection, the true adventure coming out of the vast unknown, out of the immensity into new life. That is the new world. And for us as believers, that's now. We can see it on the horizon and it's also for now. Just close your eyes just for a second. That new world is here for us. It's available. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And in light of that, we can understand a newness of life. We can understand our new identities. We can understand what it is to walk in its light. Because it's all about him. It's not how hard we try. It's the fact that he has done it. This might be all new to you. You might never... have repented of your sins and committed your life to him, believed in him as your Lord and your Saviour, that time available is now. Even right now. Don't let it wait. What I suggest, we're going to sing a song in a sec. If the band can come up. We're going to sing a song. But while we do, if the ministry team can be at the back, If you want to pray, if you want to give your life to Christ, go and speak to one of the ministry team while we're singing. So let's people to see you. That's fine. We'll do it while we're singing. You can continue after if necessary. If you want to give your life to Christ, then do please come and speak to one of the people at the back and they'll love to pray with you and talk it through with you. If you want to pray through fear that you still feel in your life, if you want to be filled with the